0: Good morning. My name, as Daniel said, is Timothy. I'm one of the pastors here at Christ Central and have the awesome privilege to bring to you God's Word this morning. We're continuing in our series in Psalms, and uh, these are the Songs of Ascent. Uh, This is Psalm 127. I'm going to ask that you stand as is our custom uh, for the reading of God's Word. This is God's Word. He says... Like arrows in the hand of a warrior are the children of one's youth. Blessed is the man who fills his quiver with them. He shall not be put to shame when he speaks with his enemies in the gate. Let's pray. Father, we come to you now and we need to hear from you. We need you to speak to our hearts. We need to be reminded of your good news Father, I pray that you would remove me and that you would speak through me, that you would empower my lips to boldly proclaim the good news of your Son, Jesus Christ. I pray these things in your Son's name. Amen. Amen. You can be seated. Do you ever find yourself laying in bed late at night and you just can't seem to get your mind to rest you're exhausted from a long hard day but your thoughts are racing and you're so filled with anxiety that you realize there's really no hope of you getting any sleep anytime soon anyone relate to that that feeling amen of anxiety i know for some of us that's that's an every night occurrence Um, but at least for all of us I'm confident that we've experienced that before and can relate to that anxious, sleepless night. I want you to think about the last time you had a sleepless night. What was it that you couldn't stop thinking about? Maybe it was something you had to do the next day or a test that was coming up in school. Maybe a fight you just had with your spouse or a performance review that's coming up at work. Maybe it's a bill that needs paying, a rebellious child. Maybe you're laying up late at night wondering if he or she will notice you. Maybe it's a sermon you have to preach on Sunday. I don't know what it is for you, but one thing's for sure, anxiety is no stranger to any of us. And our text this morning is written for anxious people like us. Listen again to verse 2 and see if you don't hear your name being called. It is in vain that you rise up early and go late to rest, eating the bread of anxious toil. Is that you? Do you find yourself working so hard to some end, and instead of eating the bread of success, you find yourself eating the bread of anxious toil? You labor day and night, And all that you seem to gain is another healthy portion of anxiety. Thankfully, God refuses to leave us in this state and graciously provides for us this psalm as a much-needed antidote, if you will, to the disease of anxiety. So for those of you who are like me, and it seems like you are terminally ill with this disease of anxiety, this, this text is for you. And the way that God enters into our anxiety, it's really beautiful here. Instead of just saying, don't be anxious, stop it, you know, just quit that, he actually enters in by attacking two of anxiety's greatest benefactors. He addresses the issue of performance and anxiety. Because God knows, and so do we, that most of our anxiety really centers around those two issues, doesn't it? We're anxious because we question anxiety. Whether our performance is good enough. And we're anxious because we don't know for sure if we're safe. That's where our anxiety often comes from. So this morning we're going to walk through the text and look at first the vanity or worthlessness. That's what that word means. Worthlessness of performance. The vanity of performance. Secondly, at the vanity of security. And lastly, the vain free life. Kind of sounds like a TV commercial. So we're going to do the vanity of performance, the vanity of security, and the vain free life. Look with me now at verse 1. It says, Unless the Lord builds the house, those who build it labor in vain. And the psalmist has two very important principles that he wants to teach us here that will hopefully pull us out of our vain labor and into labor that is worthwhile and successful and meaningful. The first principle has to do with God's power, and the second has to do with His presence. Let's look first at what the psalmist has to say about God's power. There's this game that my son and I have been playing lately. He's he's won, to give you a context for this game. And, And he will raise and lower the footrest of my recliner while I'm sitting in it. Um, He he loves this game. Now, the reality is my son is not strong enough yet to raise and lower the footrest by himself, so I have to help him do it. But the fun of the game is that he thinks he's doing it all by himself, and so I try to help convince him of that. And so when he does it, he he just lights up like as, as though he's accomplished something huge. He's raised the footrest. But you and I both know the reality is that He could push and pull on that footrest all he wanted, and it's not going to move. He's just not strong enough. Although he thinks he's in control, he's actually not in control of the situation. you get that? Isn't that a wonderful and yet scary picture of our lives? What the psalmist is saying here is that unless the Lord builds the house, it's not going to happen. No matter how hard we try, no matter how determined we are, the fact is that apart from God, we can do nothing. We will not succeed. We can build and build until we're blue in in the face, but apart from His help, apart from His blessing, there's absolutely no hope for success. Because He is all-powerful, and we are utterly dependent upon His power, whether we realize it or not. Now, wait a minute, you say. I see people having success all the time apart from God. That's right. For example, Donald Trump. Donald Trump has built countless, massive, glorious buildings and resorts all over the world. He's currently building a new golf resort with Tiger Woods in Dubai, which I think the church should send Daniel and I to when it's completed. <laughs> I'm working on that with the finance committee. But the But what the psalmist is saying, even to Donald Trump, like my son with the chair, he's saying, Donald, you actually do not succeed unless I choose to bless you. Whether you realize it or not, the only way you succeed in any endeavor is if I choose to pour out my blessing upon your labor. Brothers and sisters, do you believe that? Do you believe that nothing you do will succeed unless God pours out His blessing and favor upon it. Because if you believe that, you will be far less anxious. Why? This is key. This is so critical. Hear me when I say this. Because if we believe that, we would walk into every endeavor knowing that the final responsibility of that endeavor lies in God's hands. Let's say that again. We would, when we put our hand to something, we would know that the ultimate and final responsibility of that endeavor lies in God's hands. Let me make it plain for you. When you enter into some task, when you set your mind to something, and you've been working hard at this, you've been striving for it, and the ex- anxiety begins to build, our text is demanding that we rest in the fact that the success or failure of that is in God's hands. It's His. And there's something about knowing that, about knowing that He's in control that removes the anxiety, that frees us from fear. Amen? You guys hear that? I feel like I need to make a little caveat here that this psalm is in no way a call to passivity or laziness. The psalmist is not saying the Lord's going to build the house so you can sit on your duff and watch. That's not what the text is saying. The message is not to stop laboring, but instead to labor in God's strength. To acknowledge and rest in God's power in all that we do. So that's the first point that the psalmist is making here. He says we need God's power to exceed in everything. Whether that be collecting the garbage, whether that be cleaning house, being a student, being a nurse, a physician, a mom, a teacher, removing hazardous materials from our world like John does. All of these things we, we need and we depend upon God in order to succeed. And at the same time, we need not be anxious because our success or failure ultimately lies In God's hands. That's good news. The second principle that the psalmist teaches us here has to do with God's presence. I don't know about you, but I love my independence. I love it. I absolutely hate asking for help. And the reason that I hate asking for help is because it exposes me as weak and it requires me to relinquish control. And neither of those things do I really like. So asking help for me is my absolute last resort. I'm going to work myself into the ground before I acknowledge that I don't have what it takes. Anybody relate to that? Is that just me? I think that's me. Maybe not you. But, and what the psalmist is saying, I can almost envision it, if you, want to, if you can just picture this with me, it's as if there's a man that's it's up on his roof and he's feverishly hammering nails. He's hard at work like, like many of us. And the psalmist climbs up the ladder and gently taps him on the shoulder and says, Excuse me, sir. So sorry to bother you. I can tell that you are in a hurry. You seem to be very busy. But I have a question for you Where is the Lord in all of this? Have you forgotten him? Is he with you in this endeavor? And the point is, it's not that we only need God's power in our labor, but we also need His presence. And more than that, that God longs to be with us. He longs to enter in to what we're doing. And so this text exists as a general rebuke to those of us who are running 90 miles an hour to invite God into our labor, to ask for His presence in everything that we do. And again, it's here that I believe our anxiety that so haunts us is lifted. It's in the midst of the hustle and bustle when we pause and we take the time to invite him in. And when he brings his presence into our work, that our anxiety is lifted. I mean, how many of us have probably memorized this verse and yet rarely do we put it in practice? Philippians 4, be anxious for nothing. But in everything, by prayer and supplication, let your request be made known to God. And then what does it say? And what will happen? Who knows it? The peace of God, the peace of God will surpass, that surpasses all comprehension will guard our hearts and our minds in Christ Jesus. We know that verse, but do we put it into practice? Do we invite God in to our labor? Do we ask Him to bless us in everything we do? He longs to. All we have to do is ask. And so those, those are the first two principles that the psalmist teaches us in terms of our performance. He says, our work is in vain because we haven't acknowledged God's power and we haven't invited His presence. And as a result, we eat the, branches, the, excuse me, eat the bread of anxious toil. Brings us to our second point the vanity of security. The psalmist isn't done with us yet. He's beginning to engage the other major benefactor that, that brings about anxiety in our life. Listen again to the second part of verse 1 Unless the Lord watches over the city, the watchmen watch in vain. Safety is a huge deal in our country, isn't it? It's huge. I have a friend who does campus ministry in Atlanta, Georgia, at Georgia Tech. And in order to be close to the students, the Tech students, he moved his family into a neighborhood just north of campus, which so happens to be not the greatest neighborhood in Atlanta. And he literally had some of his supporters tell him that by moving his family into this neighborhood and putting, in, putting his family at risk, he was being sinful. That he was being sinful by taking his family there. And what's so upsetting about this is that what's underneath those comments is the assumption that we as human beings can protect ourselves apart from God. That we have the ability to do certain things, to live in such a way that we'll be safe. That if we, have, if we live in the right neighborhood, if we have the right security system, and a good job, and a healthy bank account and a robust 401k that we will be secure. And my friend's response to me, which was right on, was this. He said, if moving into this unsafe, quote, neighborhood is the greatest sacrifice that my Savior calls me to make for His sake, then I consider myself to be truly blessed. You see, because He gets it. My friend understands that he is much more secure being where God has called him to be rather than where the world says this is safe. This is what security looks like. He's secure in God's calling upon his life. Brothers and sisters, what is your security rooted in? In what ways are you watching over the city, believing that you have the power to keep it in order? Rather than trusting in God to protect you and provide for you. Again, hear me when I say there's nothing wrong with a security system and a 401k, but if your sense of security is wrapped up in those things, if your sense of security lies within you and what you bring to the table, then your watching is in vain. It's in vain. And the last three verses of our text serve as evidence of this point. The the psalmist is proving his point to us. Look again at verses 3 through 5. He says, Behold, children are a heritage from the Lord, the fruit of the womb a reward. Like arrows in the hand of a warrior are the children of one's youth. Blessed is the man who fills his quiver with them. He shall not be put to shame when he speaks with his enemies in the gate. Now, at first glance, this section seems to be strangely out of context, right? How have we gone from watching the gate to the blessing of children? But what's missed here by most is the cultural context. You see, this text is written in a time where there is no retirement plan, there's no nursing home. So the only hope for survival for the elderly was their children. The only security one had in old age was in your children's ability to take care of you. And so what the psalmist is doing here is he's driving home his point. He's saying, you long for security in your old age? He's saying, you and I both know that God is the one and only giver of life. So your security is entirely in his hands. It doesn't matter how hard you work. Or how well the watchman watches for the people in this context. Unless God blessed them with children, they didn't stand a chance. And the application for us is pretty clear, isn't it? Although we don't need our children to survive anymore necessarily, the same principle is true. Our security is entirely, entirely in God's hands. So we can stop anxiously watching over our investments. We can stop anxiously pouring over the news about the latest string of violence. And even Christ Central, if I may be so bold, we can can enter into relationships with people when called that others might not consider to be safe. We can do that. We can live like that because we trust that God is in control, that our security is in His hands and not ours. Are you watching the gates, or have you turned over your security to Him? Do you truly trust that He is with you and that He will take care of you? Which leads us to our third and final point, the vain, free life. Here I want to paint a picture of what it looks like to live this out and to highlight what God promises to us when we live this way. Instead of going on and on with hypotheticals, I just want to share with you what it's looked like for me to apply this text this week. So pardon me if my life is boring to you, but that's this where we're going to go. So the past couple of weeks, I've found myself to be incredibly busy, which for most of us really is the norm, right? We're always busy. I've never walked out of church and, and someone said, yeah, I'm just really bored right now. I have nothing to do. I really wish I was more busy. No one, I'm waiting for the day when somebody says that. But We're, we're all busy. And so in my busyness, I have found myself starting to cut out my time with the Lord in the morning, my time in God's Word and in prayer. I was doing this in order to get things done, because I didn't have enough time for God right now. Anybody relate to that? Because I was anxious and afraid, and in my fear, I was groping for control. I was desperately groping for control. But the absurdity is that in my attempts to regain control, I began to do the exact opposite of what this passage is talking about. I was refusing to acknowledge God's power by thinking that I could do this apart from Him. I was stopping inviting Him into, inviting His presence into my work by not spending time with Him. And I was trying to find my security and my own ability to get things done. And so then, Tuesday comes, and I've set aside time to meditate on this text, and God hits me like a freight train. Just blows me away with what it says, and 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 really, He gives me this phrase in verse one as medicine, if you will, for my anxiety. And this is how it played out for me this week. I, I began to say to Him, literally, say this, Lord: Unless you preach this sermon, I preach in vain. Lord, unless you parent these kids, I parent in vain. Lord, unless you open the eyes of my neighbors, I minister in vain. And so on and so forth. And I began to use this text as a way of healing, a way of freedom from anxiety. And by saying it, I was literally acknowledging his power, I was inviting his presence, and I was looking to him for security. And so that's my charge for you guys this week. It's it's rather simple. But when the anxiety begins to build, when you well up with fear, I charge you to literally say this phrase and, and say it to whatever task is at hand. Unless the Lord delivers this presentation, I deliver it in vain. Unless the Lord takes this final, I take it in vain. Unless the Lord works in my marriage and so on and so forth, unless the Lord... You fill in the blank. And it's that, it's, that, it's that giving it over to Him that causes us to enter into the blessings that He promises here. Look at what He promises again in verse 2. For He gives to His beloved sleep. If the clearest sign of anxiety is an inability to sleep, then certainly the clearest sign of peace is rest. When we acknowledge God's power, we invite His presence and put our security in Him. The Lord removes our anxiety and He blesses us. He rewards us with rest. Brothers and sisters, that is good news for those of us who are anxious. I want to conclude with a speech from Benjamin Franklin. This was given during the Convention for Forming the Constitution. In Philadelphia, 1787. I want you to be mindful. Benjamin Franklin was not a Christian. A self-proclaimed deist. And yet somehow he seemed to grasp this text far better than most of us. So hear what he says. In the beginning of the contest with Britain, when we were sensible of danger, we had daily prayers in this room for divine protection. Our prayers, sir, were heard. And they were graciously answered. All of us who were engaged in the struggle must have observed frequent instances of superintending providence. God's presence. To that kind of providence, we owe this opportunity of consulting in peace on the means of establishing our future national felicity. Listen here. And now, he says, and have we now forgotten this powerful friend or do we imagine that we no longer need His assistance? I have lived for a long time, 81 years, and the longer I live, the more convincing proof I see of this truth that God governs in the affairs of men. And if a sparrow cannot fall to the ground without his notice, it is, is it possible that an empire can rise without his aid? We have been assured, sir, In sacred writings that except the Lord build the house, they labor in vain that build it. I firmly believe this, and I also believe that without his continuing aid, we shall proceed in this political building no better than the builders of Babel. Beautiful speech he gave. Brothers and sisters, have we now forgotten this powerful friend do we imagine that we no longer need his assistance our text speaks to those of us who are anxious and says put your trust in him and he will give you rest amen let's pray father we are anxious people who we are we live lives that are fearful and full of anxiety And we do this because we have yet to acknowledge your power. We fail to invite your presence. And we put our security in things other than you. Father, would you draw us back to yourself? Would you show yourself to be powerful? Would you compel us to invite you into our labor? And will we put our trust, our security in you alone? God, help us to do that today and throughout this week. I pray these things in your son's name. Amen.